0: What's up, gifted family? Welcome to another episode of the show that is the GP YouTube. Just a reminder that if you support what we do here, make sure to go over to GiftedPerformance.com and sign up for our automated coaching service. For only a dollar a day, you'll get access to 15 highly customized training programs, a macronutrient calculator, our meal planning feature that lets you build and save meals based on your macros, as well as access to our private Facebook group. All subscriptions help us in continuing to put out great content to get you to your fitness goals. Thanks for stopping by, and without any further delay, let's get into today's video. Enjoy. Welcome back. Another episode of the GPP, the Gift of Performance Podcast, where we provide you the information and practical takeaways to improve your own general physical preparedness. I'm joined by three of my favorite bodybuilders this side of the Mississippi. Are we all on the same side of the Mississippi? Yes. (laughs) We are. So that actually works. Nice. Hashtag East Coast boys. We don't really have any West Coast boys, do we? We had gun show she was over there on the west coast but she got smart and came over here i guess it doesn't really matter our geographic locations when people are coming here to get their questions answered another q a episode all bodybuilding related q a questions i hope i think yes correct they are all bodybuilding questions does anyone have anything to say add maybe they want to comment maybe they want to talk about how their day their week is going before we get started anybody Ass. the whole thing's fucked What are we, Thursday? The whole thing's fucked. Pack it in. Pack it in. Give it up. Paul's sleeping for the rest of the week. You still have some fish to eat, sir. Let's start now.
1: Let's sleep now. Let's let's eat a fish sandwich and take a nap. (laughs) That's what this podcast (laughs) will be about. Cam, Dom, anything to add? No, just uh, got two
2: doing
3: Universe on Saturday. So I've been doing their peak weeks.
2: Yeah, and I've got that one uh, figure at the Haney.
0: Yeah. And I got my boy, Justin Hale, doing men's physique this weekend, hopefully qualifying for Nats either this year or maybe we'll roll it into next year. You better hope all be- Tom Brady.
2: You better hope Tom Brady shows up, brother, brother.
0: I've made some moves this week in fantasy. And let me tell you, my wide receivers fucking stacked. I am stacked on wide receivers so if but what will happen is like the ones that are in will suck like last week and then my bench will go off like always I'll have like another 60 points on my bench again if I have to eat 10 fish sandwiches I can tell you one thing I'm not going for a jog afterward again because I felt bad after that very very bad all right but the fish sandwich conversation, the high sodium, what made me feel so bad, actually kind of goes into our segues nicely into our first question. Our first question is from at Z bro. Fifty eight. I wonder if that's Z bro, like the bro or if it's like Zach and he's a bro. Or maybe his last name like starts with bro.
3: Like he sure played football, football with the
0: number fifty eight in there. Number fifty eight, yeah. What do you think he played? For he was like sure a left. He was like a left tackle. No, maybe he was a guard. I could see him as a guard. It's
2: a guard number? A, yeah, guard a guard
0: number or a really shitty player that you just give the number to. Ouch. Ouch. Yeah. Zebro, I would never call you a shitty player. But your question, we might settle on it being shitty. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> All right. So Zebro asks, and everyone who asks questions, thank you for asking questions. We're going to make fun of you. Roll with the punches, but at the end of the day, we love you. Zebro asks, can you talk about the importance of adding salt into the diet? I can start off. um, If your diet has literally zero salt in it, you will pass away. You will die. So the importance of having some salt in your diet is that you will stay alive. And now I'm going to pass my friends here uh, to talk about Maybe the additive benefit of salt, having more salt, reducing salt in the diet. Well, I believe salt helps with uh, glucose transportation. It most certainly does. It is a co-transporter.
1: Well stated, Cameron.
3: It's a co-transporter for a lot of things.
1: (laughs) For these nuts. Pretty important for just about everything. Go for it, Dom. I mean,
3: it... uh, I just there's so many things it's important for muscle contraction. I, I really don't understand why people take it out like it doesn't I feel like people have this misconception of like salt is why they hold water but not you you're holding water because one you're probably fat two you don't drink enough water and that way you're retaining water so uh, yeah There's just a lot of things that
0: it's important for. And And I would
3: never take salt out of a diet, ever.
0: (laughs) And so there's kind of like, I don't know if it's so much of people taking salt out of the diet now, but with the vertical diet folks, now it's like this, hey, if I take a fucking ton of salt in the diet, specifically iodized salt to get that extra iodine, my, you know, my thyroid will turn, will go super saiyan and I'll be able to melt fat, which is uh, not sure Anyone want to talk about why that's not the case?
2: Well, I mean, the thyroid's going to be regulated by a whole lot more than just iodine. <laughs> yeah. I refuse to believe that. <laughs> okay, let's put you in a huge deficit and give you all the salt. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it just doesn't
1: work that way because you have regulatory mechanisms and like feedback loops that literally take, Hormones or metabolites of hormones, I guess, more or less sense them in the blood and say, oh shit, we have too much of this. We're going to pull production down a little bit. And then you might actually like, it's not like this stable thing. Like your levels are always this. You pump out some. Oh shit, we need to slow down. Now we're a little under. Let's pump out some more. And your hormones are kind of always doing this.
3: Yeah. Like I think, like the iodized salt thing of course is going to be beneficial for anybody that has an iodine deficiency but once you replace your deficiency you replace your deficiency you're not getting this like additive benefit just like paul said everything has a negative feedback loop so once you hit a threshold it's like okay well now all this extra iodine we're not going to use it gonna you know get rid of it or excrete it and then whenever we need more it's back into the diet so like i think uh i think that's a big misconception too that like eating iodized sea salt all day long is gonna pump out a bunch of t3 and you're just gonna melt fat
0: (laughs) yeah but stan Efferding told me no i think people would really (laughs) would really benefit from understanding kind of like the inverted U of all this stuff like if you don't have enough of something it is for sure bad (laughs) when you get the right amount that is for sure good adding more offers no additional benefit and could also have some sort of negative limitation so think about anything anything that happens physiologically in the body is usually occurs on this u-shape some or not enough is bad enough is always good is usually too much and it's going to be bad. Whether you want depressing. to talk about iodine salt, training volume, uh, testosterone, any of those things, it's all going to
1: occur on that curve. And like there there and then just another part of like the physiology thing. There's if you ever look at a pathway for anything, the start of something to the end product, whether it's muscle protein synthesis, uh, anything related to glycogen breakdown, glucose, whatever, like making ATP fucking doesn't matter. Like when you break out like the entire fucking process, it it looks like a fucking schematics map for like building a spaceship. And all along, all these different fucking arrows and pathways, there's rate limiting steps everywhere. So like even if you're like, okay, we're going to increase this, and then you hit a rate-limiting step. And then if we somehow decide to increase like something else in that pathway, there's another rate-limiting step beyond that.
0: So it turns out that if you've got a question on your exam, on your physiology exam, glycolysis machine go burr is not going to get you full <laughs> credit when you have to list the steps. And the steps are terrifying, let me mm-hmm. just tell you. So shall we? All right, Bro. I hope that answered your question, man. Get Z-bro. some salt.
3: Just add your salt to your diet
0: <laughs> and don't take it out. <laughs> and drink enough water because if you drink enough water, that is your friend because you will just excrete the excess. If you do not drink enough water and you get horrible hypertension. Bad happen? happen.
1: Uh, didn't you say I, I thought you mentioned a long time ago that if you get way too much iodine, something like really bad can happen. Or, like, some bad side effect, or like something. Did uh, I say that? I thought you did a long time I ago. I might have,
0: but I, if I did say that, I might have forgotten. But on the water side of things, if you don't, if you overdo the water, then you can run into issues of low electrolyte levels. You can flush out too much electrolyte. So find that balance. What's our water recommendation, guys?
2: Uh, I usually, well, it, w- when it comes to water, I think uh, a lot of it comes down to their current dietary, uh, I guess, breakdown with foods, because I know for myself, like when we're pushing food high in an off season, I can be hydrated, not drinking much water at all. Um, but, you know, I think the, the lower someone's food gets, especially carbohydrates. Um, I'll usually recommend somebody around one to one point two ounces per pound body weight.
3: Yeah, so, I just yeah. tell people an ounce per body weight. Weight per
2: so, I think, I, I think a lot of people, though, think of hydration as peeing clear when that, really you might be hyper hydrating at that point. And
1: that, that's what too. I was going <laughs> to
2: say is like I, I'll have the one to one point two five
1: ounce kind of thing is like a general just like, hey, this might be good. But like ultimately, the best way to tell if you're hydrated is to look at your pee color. And most of the day you want to be near clear, not necessarily clear. You know, like you can literally Google hydration chart and one through ten and uh, you want to be somewhere between that one to three where you're what while, uh, where you're hydrated. You're near clear, but you're not just pissing straight clear all day. I know Lyle McDonald has a recommendation, sort of safety net of five clear peas a day. You're, doing that, you're probably hydrated. You know, if you're getting like 10 clear peas a day, you're probably over hydrated, you know. Yeah, I think it's, that's a pretty safe recommendation there. All yeah. right.
0: Our next question, it comes from Michelle Martin, a client of Jake and Cam, and then I do her training. So I had a consult with Michelle yesterday, and we're finishing up the consult, and I was like, do you have any other questions? She's like, I actually have one question. She's like, why are you eating all those fish sandwiches on your <laughs> Instagram story? <laughs> so, so that I had to explain all of that to her. So, hey, Michelle, how are you? So Michelle asks... Are there benefits to eating the same thing every day versus a varied diet? And then she specified that this is in a non-contest prep um, context here. So benefits to eating the same thing every day versus a varied diet. Who wants to take it?
1: You know what we should have probably hit on the last question is, like, general fucking sodium recommendations.
0: Well, circle back. General sodium recommendations, and let's jump ahead.
1: What do you recommend? Uh, man, that's also a tough one, dude. I'd probably go with not. No, I'd probably go with somewhere around like, uh, what? Roughly. I'd probably say one to one and a half for most people, uh, times their calories or something like that. I think ISSN has some paper on sodium intake and stuff. And like the standard just because I don't think there's good research on because it's very individual. Like, are you sweating? How much activity are you doing? Um, what type of activity you're doing, you know, or, or are you just like sitting down in a chair all day? You know, it's yeah. your, your sodium and your water needs. But I think like their general recommendation, I'm probably going to fuck this up, was around four grams a day for athletes, male athletes. Well,
3: I was going to say, based on what you said, one and a half times calories. That puts me at 4.4 4 grams a day, which I feel like is what I eat
2: right now. I was going to say just in general for, I guess, female athletes, maybe somewhere around one and a half to three grams and males, maybe three grams all the way up to six. Yeah, I would probably
0: lower the end on males. Something like twenty five hundred to forty five hundred for males is probably a good place to start. Somewhere 1,500 yeah, to 3,000 is good probably, for a
1: females. one and a half times calories is probably around that number for most males.
0: Yep.
1: Okay. Yeah, that's insane. Yeah. Hey, Michelle, sorry we didn't answer your
0: question. Michelle's like, hell yeah, I'm getting my question answered. This is my moment to shine. And Paul's like, hey, fuck that question. Let's go back to the previous one. All right, getting into Michelle's question now. Benefits to eating the same thing every day versus a varied diet. So who wants to pop off first? Um, Raise your hand. Dom? So
3: benefits of eating the same thing every day. One, I think a convenience thing for cooking. Um, Two, I think the more consistent. Oh, this is non-contest prep.
0: This is non-contest
3: prep. Well, let's go. go I would prefer eating the same thing every day just because the way less variables you have, the way less difficult it ends up being. So if we could reduce variability as much as we can in a contest prep, it makes the slightest change have such a big outcome. But as far as non-contest prep, I feel like just makes it convenient for cooking and prepping and day-to-day stuff. Um, You can get a lot of outside stuff done probably if you're eating the same thing every day. Just makes it a lot easier. A varied diet in a non-contest prep. I guess it depends on what this non-contest prep is. Is it a? Are you trying to diet down? If you're trying to diet down, having a varied diet might make that a little bit more difficult, just because of the extra variables too. Because your calories aren't going to always be the same if you're having a varied diet. If you're trying to lose weight, that might mess things up. Um, but I think the big thing is the convenience of it all.
2: Um, And I I agree, too. I think um, especially with contest preps, um, dieting periods, people with very complex schedules, maybe that have two kids or running around all the time, having just a staple diet where they don't even have to think about it may be convenient. But I do think that there's cons to both sides of it. Uh, I think if you're eating the same thing every day and we see it a lot of the times, it's a lot of the time in contest preps that I think there's a higher potential for downregulation of certain digest uh, digestive enzymes uh, based off of food groups. If you're just eating the same thing every day, um, you know, there's a potential that there may be a lack of certain micronutrients from certain areas, whether that's going to cause impact or not there's probably going to be some lack of, uh, micronutrients or vitamins. Um, but I will say with a a varied diet, um, you know, if someone knows how to track their macros properly knows how to track their macros, I think outside of a contest prep, that's what I would prefer. (laughs) just because, uh, in humans and human nature, we want what we can't have. So you put someone on a staple meal plan, eating the same thing every single day, whether they're in a dieted state where hunger is elevated or not, I think there's going to be some mental draw to foods that you might not necessarily want for no reason outside of that. You're just being restricted to it. Um, and what else? And two, you know, having more of a varied diet, knowing how to track your macros, not being in a contest prep, too. It allows you to go out to certain events, do things with other people in your life that are significant for where when a contest prep does come around, you know, you've been there for them, engaged with them to be able to have reciprocated support for you when you go into a strict, unrealistic diet that has to be sustained. All right. So I'm going to hit this with
1: more of a middle ground approach for off season. And, uh, you know, I think that for most people and most people do this anyway, where most of the week they eat most of the same thing, but still be a little flexible, right? So this, I mean you're busy throughout the day. You don't wanna invest the mental energy. You wanna make everything easy. Maybe your first three meals of the day are the same thing every day. And then you come home and you have a little time to make something special for dinner. Um, Or maybe Monday through Friday, your eating looks very similar to just a meal plan, whether it's on paper or not. But you have more time on the weekends to run to the grocery store, get some things you don't normally get, get nutrients and stuff you don't normally get. I think all of that is fine, you know. And just ha- like Cam said, having that flexibility to where sometimes, uh, like you're okay with going out with friends and having something different, stuff like that. Once,
3: so that's that's like me right now. <clears throat> like Monday through. Monday through Friday, I'm pretty much, like, what we have on my meal plan. And then, like, Saturday, I might, like, change the last two meals because, like, I'm home now. I got way more time. I could sit and then track the food and just make sure everything matches that way. Um, And then, like, for clients of mine, too, what I'll do is, like, I'll give them the same calorie options between certain foods so like potatoes to rice i'll just make sure calorie wise the two amounts i give them end up being the same so like if they went with either or they're still on track to be on their like calorie count just so that they can like have that like okay i can follow this meal plan and just pick from these options but i'm still hitting this calorie amount I so agree. that, that way they don't have to think about like, oh, is this over calories? Is this under, cal-? no, just pick from these and you're still on track to hit your
2: calories. Yeah. And I think that's a, that's a very important tool to have is being able to track your macros or, you know, having you there at, at their convenience to give them different options for whenever cravings do come in. Because I'll tell people, even though I don't think long-term sustainability is as optimal with a meal plan where they're eating every single day but the accuracy is it it blows human error out of the water when it comes to macro tracking. And so I've shifted over to, instead of just having people go on a meal plan, maybe the last six weeks of a contest prep, I'm having them just start the, the contest prep tracking macros unless like, I think the only people now at this point would probably be like Paul that I'd be like, oh, you're probably gonna be good to track macros until you wanna go on a meal plan. But, I mean, he's been doing it for, like, what, 10 years, 11 years? Something like that since, like, 2011 or 12 or something. And you'll still have times where you accidentally maybe, like, a label – doesn't scan properly, like in there's small times where humans say the hmm. biggest thing, like my downfall, especially
1: coming out of this prep is just being like, oh, I'll, I'll put this in later. And then like the next day comes by and I'm like, oh, I didn't track those fucking cookies. So I actually went over yesterday by two or
2: three hundred calories. And <laughs> there's some labels too. like you scan them. And what it comes up on my fitness pal, or at least that's the app that I I do that bullshit. If you do that,
1: you're fucking lazy. If you can't scan something and then look at the back of a package or (laughs) Google the nutrition
2: label, you're a piece of shit. That's what I'm saying. Like when you scan it, if you don't pay attention, like sometimes it'll be off by I mean, even if it's just a couple grams or whatever, it'll still be off. But again, at the end of the day, I think the meal plan, if you I think the most optimal situation for i guess we are talking about a contest prep and she asks about non but for like a dieting phase or whatever the case may be knowing how to track your macros accurately and having that skill that you can put to the side but then also having a meal plan laid out where you're being able to follow it not think about it you get into an emergency situation maybe you're traveling on the road run out of something you're like oh, okay well i still know how to track my macros i'm missing x amount of this okay that's this macronutrient profile and calories i know how to fit it and find something else so it's not just this either i'm all in or all out kind of idea so let me sum up and just answer
1: her question directly real quick probably a very diet in most circumstances is going to be better for you From a health aspect assuming you eat like an adult but also the psychological aspect with cravings and whatever you know getting things you enjoy but i would probably just push someone like most things to middle ground approach you know some of your diet most days can look like a meal plan but have some variation of flexibility in there at some points throughout the week
0: something that i wanted to ask paul and dom if they've seen anything kind of more in the literature there something that cam was talking about with the intolerances as a diet goes along and i think that we've all kind of seen that in clients where they do like a long contest prep where maybe they that you dairy. know cut out dairy for one reason or another and then like the post-show treat is like a pint of bed and jerry's and they just absolutely blow their beehole out so like is that is that something that we're like really Settled on? Can we are we gonna can we say that like, hey, listen, if you don't eat foods from certain food groups, you are gonna get a down regulation of these necessary enzymes, whether it be lactase or something else. Your body is pretty efficient in getting rid of things that it doesn't need under times of high stress, contest prep being high stress, things that it doesn't need being these certain digestive enzymes.
1: What I'll say part of the problem though too is that. Nobody does anything in moderation coming out of it. Yeah, it's the like volume you,
0: <laughs> of the food. Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah. like if you just came out of a diet and you're like, you know what? I'm going to have half a glass of milk <laughs> or half of cookies. A
2: little half glass.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you know, like you would probably, assuming you were already like you're just normally a lactose intolerant or milk, uh, dairy intolerant person, you know, you would work back up to it and everything would be fine. But people come out of contest prep and they're like, "I'm getting ice cream. I'm getting a milkshake. I'm eating the steak covered in cheese." Like,
0: <laughs> but I think yeah, that Paul's still speaks. It. I Paul's think that it. still speaks to the intolerance issue there, because even if you ate like a volume or a calorie equated non-dairy meal, you probably wouldn't have those same digestive symptoms. So if you ate, you know, 1,100 calories of chicken and rice post-show, you probably wouldn't have the same liquid shits that you had from the Ben and Jerry's
1: maybe, but I think that was one thing that fucked me up was this, the sheer, your body's not ready for that sheer volume of fucking food, man. you know, because we're not talking about, uh, filling out show day food. Like, cool. Yeah. You get, you get 900 grams of carbs and it's 4,000 calories. Like people come out of their show and they eat like eight to 10,000 calories within that, like first 24 hours. Yeah, oh, Man,
0: we need to get we need to get Gabby Fandaro on here and just do an entire podcast episode about things that give us diarrhea. Yeah. Bodybuilder diarrhea, a
1: great no, podcast I, episode. I definitely don't disagree. They're probably you probably do or a lot of people
2: do probably come out with some sort of intolerance and don't handle anything the way they should. You know how yeah. I look at it? And this is going to be a really weird analogy oh but you have a, you have a dog right the dog eats that same dog food over and over again when you bring in a new kind of dog food you got to go 75 percent one food 25 percent the other yo um, people yeah people say that all the time
0: but my dogs must be strong because that, that that shit doesn't fuck with them i could feed them i don't even it's
2: just kibbles and bits dollar brand or the color for a couple
1: days and then she's good
2: yeah huh. i don't know well, then maybe my dog is broken
0: John, did you have something to add? I kind of cut you off there. I didn't mean to. I still like it. No, you. I think uh, back to like how
3: your body works, like it's not gonna waste energy making things that it doesn't need at the moment. So like you'll probably see that. But I think I think we take that out of context a lot though, because of how much people eat post show. Um, like I like the la- I competed last time 2018. I was so scarred from 2017 when I did post show that I did not eat a lot at all, though I had things like cheese and whatnot and like it didn't do anything to me, but it's only because I had one slice on the burger. I (laughs) like I didn't like have a bowl of nachos and cheese and stuff, but like I think uh, and even after that, I didn't feel sick or anything. But again, it's because I ate one meal like I didn't sit and eat five entrees after my show.
0: Yeah, so in 2014, I ate a bunch of cheesecake post show, and I and that really fucked me up. And I thought it was the dairy. So I, the, in the years following that, I didn't eat dairy and I felt okay. But then in in 2019, last year, my most recent contest prep, I had like something really oily. I had like a veal parmesan or something like that that was super oily with a pasta, and that really fucked me up too. So I think That's oil thing, can get yeah.
1: you. Well, I mean, it's like you've had. Oh, you made
0: spaghetti on top of a fried chicken cutlet.
1: Hell yeah! But no, <laughs> that's the thing. Like you come out of your diet, and for fucking four to six months, you've had between thirty to seventy-five grams of fat, and then you come out of your show, and you're like, "Today is the day I eat hundred grams. I, I can eat three hundred today." <laughs> I'm eating 100 in just this one meal with the dairy, with the carbs, with all this shit that I haven't had in fucking four months.
0: (laughs) Yeah. All right. Our next question, it comes from super underscore saying underscore doc. And the, the username itself makes me kind of think. Would a Super Saiyan doctor be a good thing or a bad thing? So you've got like regular old doctor, and then mid-surgery they go or mid like procedure, they go Super Saiyan. I feel like that's a bad
1: thing, right? There are a lot of things that like probably in life you don't want your power level to be over 9000. You know?
0: That's what I'm saying. But I'm getting open (laughs) hearted. I don't
1: want I don't want the the doctor standing over 9000. and just just Huh. rip off your wiener like man <laughs> all
0: right super saiyan doc super saiyan doc asks what sets apart gifted performance from the rest of the coaches out there well n- number one we're just way fucking better at our job and then number two through
2: 50 i'll let these guys answer cam go no <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely not I did not want to answer this one. I don't man. know man I think from at least from where where I stand like working with everybody uh man it's it, in terms of just being at the coach aspect like it I love it being surrounded by a bunch of people that you know they're nerds there's a lot that I learn from them but also like we're just a bunch of goofballs at the same time like we've got our own fantasy football league where, you know, people are getting blasted weekly with McFish's. Uh, you know, we'll have meetups where we're all trying to get together, and make something happen. Usually doesn't go as pretty as it does on paper, <laughs> but we try. Um, I don't I don't know. I think <clears throat> if I wasn't on gifted performance and <clears throat> I was coaching still just kind of by myself, I think it would get very lonely and <clears throat> not as much fun. <clears throat> um, And also, too, like I wouldn't be anywhere near where I am with, you know, experience and execution with athletes, because I wouldn't have been able to learn from some of these guys and their perspectives and making me think differently about stuff and question certain things. And it's just a good, good little group to be a part of. Um, I'll hit this
1: from something that's going to sound, I guess, stereotypical but like, you know, gifted performance, uh, was never intended to, but I think at its core started off more bodybuilding. Right. And I think that's where, what gets the most attention right now. I mean, and it's just the nature of online coaching and social media. It's just very visual. Um, but I, for a group that you may consider like, uh, bodybuilding-ish or started, like we have so many people with different backgrounds. I mean, like we have, uh, you know, Mike who is a powerlifter and a physical therapist. Maria is a physical therapist. Um, we got Annie with her, you know, military and tactical training expertise. We now have people, uh, that do high intensity functional training or CrossFit, you know, uh, Olympic weightlifting backgrounds, you know, you, Ryan, and, um, and all that and uh powerlifting is kind of a given graphic designer yeah i mean like we have so many things and from so many angles and then we have people in the background that don't focus on the hands-on coaching at all that also help sort of support so just in general just a very well-rounded team full of people that like are either really fucking smart like, I mean, dude, some of the people on our team are, are really fucking
2: bright people. Hector. <laughs> huh? Hector.
1: Hector. Yeah, I mean, dude, Hector Thomas is smart as shit. So Thomas is always, like, either, you know, making me question um, previous things I thought I knew or taking ideas that I have and just, like, getting them out better.
2: You know making, what I mean? Making you work for it to be right. <laughs>
1: yeah. And, uh... Yeah, man, I, they, they're just so that we I feel like, you know, gifted already hits so many angles and it's only going to grow, you know, um, and then the people who maybe just don't have much of an academic background or maybe um, a vested interest in learning about certain things, um, maybe on their own, like they're all eager to grow, you know, and they're all eager, like they they listen, they learn, like the, the team grows um so fucking rapidly i mean the team is completely different than what it was three months ago even
2: you know and and i'll say too paul you kind of added in saying like those who don't have as much like educational background like that's me like i can't go like how um you guys and i want to say almost everyone else on gifted can like read (laughs) studies break stuff down that actually have those degrees like i just have a high school diploma and there's a lot of stuff where I may know on the surface, like what, like what I need to know to be able to execute with the coaching, but there's certain levels to it that I just, I don't have that educational background to, you know, I, am not as great at being able to read a study, um, you know, starting to look at like the population where there's even a valid study stuff that, you know, you guys may be able to read. And I'm just like, Hey man, like, I need a too long. Didn't read. Do I do this or do I not do it? Like, (laughs) you know what I mean? And I think too, a lot with how you were talking about, Paul, there's all these pieces that go into it and go into gifted that, you know, if I were to try and go off and start my own coaching brand or just, I think there's so many small areas that you don't think about that have to be taken care of and handled that, if I had to do all those things myself, it wouldn't allow me to coach to my full ability because I have to put way more time into those areas.
3: Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm just as the newest, but I mean, just kind of joined at the same time. So of recent um, one thing I can see across the board with everybody I'm gifted is communication with clients is like top tier. Like, and, and that's, I think, a huge thing that a lot of different teams, coaches, whatnot, lack. Um, you know, we're all constantly on our phones or answering emails, just Sorry. trying to be there for the client. Um, that, um, you know, and, you know, a big reason why I joined Gifted was uh, just so much I could learn from it. Like, like the amount of like uh, the amount of training shit I've learned from Paul, like it's just stuff like that that like I had no idea about, and it's just things I'm learning and whatnot. A lot of people gave me a lot of shit about lead. Like everyone was just like, "Oh, you're just dropping everything you built. Like you have such a big company and whatnot, and you're just leaving it all behind." And I was like, "No, I was like, I'm I'm joining Gifted to make it better for me, so so that it's better for everybody else. Like I don't have an ego to the point where I'm like." I don't need anybody else. I could do this all on my own. Like, no, I, I need people. Like, <laughs> that's, that's why I've, I've learned. I've learned so much in these past two months that I would have never probably came across if I had just kept doing things by myself. And then, like you said, like all the people behind the scenes, like, you know, not having to deal with my website, not having to deal with payments, just things like that, like has freed up so much time for me that I have more chance to, get a little bit more detailed with the client and things
2: like that and too like i remember uh because for a minute at first you weren't going to come on or like you just had a hard time waiting it out and you were just like i'm just going to sit here for now and i i was somebody who came on to uh came on to the team i guess a little bit after like the ogs like i'm not part of like the og gifted group so but i'm not as new as y'all but i remember coming on and within that first three months, I was like, whoa, this, this is cool. I'm glad I came onto this. And I was sitting there, and I'm Dom, I'd known you since, man, like before I went on to Gifted, actually. And we've been tight ever since then. And so I know when you were kind of sitting in that middle ground, at first I was like, oh, I'm not going to put it on him. And then I was just like, man, I care about Dom not too much, just to be like, bro, just trust me here. <laughs> I think I think one of my favorite
0: parts of just like the team as a whole is like how if I get a question and I don't know the answer, I don't have to sort through Google or do my own research, or do like extensive research on my own, if someone comes to me and they have like a mechanistic drug question, I'm like, oh sweet, I can just ask Paul. And if Paul's like, fuck, I don't know the answer to that. Paul just asks Hector, and Hector <laughs> literally knows everything. So we just have Hector as like our god of knowledge above everyone else who just knows everything. What did Hector say the the day? He says, I know 100% of like 10% of everything. (laughs) I only know 10% of everything, but I know a hundred percent of it. (laughs) So Hector is someone who's very behind the scenes. We always like to give him a shout out when we can. But my, my thing with my, if you want to be a good coach or you want to be a good coaching group, you have to check three big boxes. You have to either one have done it before Everyone on gifted has done it before we've all competed in our aspects of daily life. We have Tom and Annie who've competed both at high levels of powerlifting and strongman. We have cam, Paul, myself, Dom, Anthony, Maria, who have all competed at high levels in bodybuilding. We have, you guys didn't even mention Jake, good old Jake lost a hundred pounds, kept it off. So he's someone who he's our graphic designer, video editor, that kind of stuff. He's another one who's lived kind of the lifestyle thing. It's like we've checked that box completely. The second box being that you have to have an education, like you have to have some form of formal education. I think we've got plenty of that on the team, PhDs, doctors, master's level people got plenty of that. And the third one is you have to coach people who have been there, coach people at the highest level. So have you been there? Have you coached someone that's been there? Do you have the formal education of what it takes to actually get there? And we've got cam myself, Dom, paul all coached pros we've got tom who's coached multiple power lifters to all-time world records top 10 totals annie who's coached special forces army individuals into their um you know their selection exams like we know how the fuck to do it we've done it ourselves and we've coached plenty of fucking people there to that level so we check all those boxes we mushroom stamp all those boxes and, you know, mm, throw meat down on it. The
1: only thing I'd say is I wouldn't call my my com- competitive record high level, but
0: <laughs> I mean, you got I, Paul's second place finish doesn't do justice, to because in a normal lineup at a show in Florida, Paul, Paul's competing for that overall. That guy who got first over you that ended up winning the overall, that guy's going to go into nationals and do
2: very fucking well. Um, and one thing I'll, I'll add to about all the coaching staff that I've really loved being a part of is, you know, everybody likes to make money. Right. But at the end of the day, when do we ever really talk about money? You know, it's, it's really not a whole lot, you know, of course, like sorting payment, whatever that kind of stuff, but nobody's ever like, bro, I'm going to cash in, make this blah, blah. like everybody cares. Like we have passion with what our area is. And I think, What's super neat about the the coaches that we have is we talked about everybody was branched off and and kind of one niche, I guess. And not and everybody is kind of accepted that they have their one area that they want to focus on versus just being somebody that's like, oh, I want to do it all, I want to do it all. Having all these coaches allows you to focus on that one area, like, you know, mine being nutrition, Paul being training and supplementation, Dom being, you know. You were killing it with a lot of the lifestyle people, but now like you're peaking in preps, like drilling it there. But just for example, like everybody's got their own area with a team of supporters that all other areas are still being taken care of. So not one thing is falling behind just because someone wants to focus on what they're passionate about. To go on with that, how much one, we never talk about making money
0: because we're not worried about it. (laughs) Two, how much do we talk about marketing?
2: A lot. Zero, yeah. zero at all. Oh, no? <laughs> what do we do for marketing? Uh, I guess just the Instagram page. <laughs> yeah. Just oh, you mean Instagram, like put money into the marketing? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I so don't I, think so. Everyone. I had a
0: I had a call with a client who's also a coach of the day. And he was like, he's like, man, like gifted just seems to like churn out so many people like, what do you do for marketing to get people get like these people in it's like uh, nothing, just get people results. And then Put post their results and then they tell all their friends and then they come through and i think that a lot of coaches and coaching groups spend way too much time way too much money way too much thought into marketing instead of just saying hey you know provide a good product get people good results and trust me more people they'll find who you want on yeah. them down poach them <laughs> yes slide in those dms all right our next question there's actually two questions here, and they're really not even related, and they come from the same person. So what do we think? Do we want to answer both of them? Or do we make him just choose one? Wait. Uh, I just say the first one. All right. Let's do the first one. I don't one. really understand. Yeah. I think it's like magnitude of surplus. I'll I'll just smash that one real quick when we get to it. All right. The is Lomas SPT. So he's a student of physical therapy, I think. Good luck in your endeavors, Lomas. Uh, he says, for training, how do you like to add volume, and what would be the feedback to add more? We've got a training guy. His name's Paul. Paul, who Ooh. are you looking for to add more volume, and how do you add that volume?
1: Man, that's that's kind of a tough one, dude. You know? Um,
2: <sighs> look. When think about how I want to. Attack let, me, let me give you a situation. So let's say that somebody, maybe they have this little period where you dial back volume and it's just kind of like, OK, let's go through just like, a, you know, those transition phases. Sometimes you might go through. Then let's say that you're going into another maybe massing phase and somebody really wants to prioritize, let's just say back. Where would you go from there? well with that i that that's very specific i'd I'd like to hit this in a general
1: aspect too but like from there you know i guess considering like the amount of volume and what their training frequency is currently you know so you know for i think most of us sort of have that foundational approach of hey like in general we want to train things at least twice a week so if we're trying to bring up our back We look at those individual days, those two days, and we say, hey, are we pretty much capped out on volume here? Like if we're hitting between depending on somebody's experience level and what they can handle and recover from five to ten hard sets within a single training day for a particular muscle, we're probably not squeezing any more volume into that day. Um, One, like we're probably near what we – We can sort of get the most juice for the squeeze on that day. But also like you start giving somebody like 15, you know, 12, 15, 20 sets for a single muscle within like a training day. They're probably going to be like after set eight, after set six, eight, ten like they're just not really giving solid effort anymore and they don't even want to be in the gym. And then you might have even other stuff you want to train after that. So then we start looking at adding that third day and there's like two approaches we can take with that. Probably the better approach is to take the volume you're already doing and just splitting it across those three days and respond to that. And then from there sort of increasing volume. And then you may even try a fourth day at some point, because that's something that I've found very useful for, um, when bringing up a lot of weak body parts, and some body parts I think can handle frequency uh, better than others, as well as it being an individual thing. But um, shit, I lost my train of thought.
0: <laughs> Four days.
1: Four days. Yeah. So fuck, I can't remember what. All I right, was. let me say something and uh,
0: and bring it back to you. So. You said that after set eight, their effort goes down, which is very true, six to eight, whatever it is for the individual, but also what you wanna factor in is that their their execution, their level of execution within the movements also goes down. So for every unit of volume that you're adding above that threshold, where their effort and execution starts to fall off, you're adding exponentially higher units of injury risk. So you're adding more sets, adding more sets, hoping that that provides more results and up to a certain it probably will but once you cross this threshold all of a sudden you're just increasing your risk of overtraining non-functional overreaching and having these little nagging injuries that pop Mm -hmm. up and you're not actually getting any increase in hypertrophy for that
1: increase in risk one thing i do like to look at actually now that you bring that up uh for whether or not i'm gonna add more sets to that one day is large drops in performance like if i have somebody doing um Six, let's say six sets of curls, uh, and they need to bring up their biceps, but after set four, they just get this huge drop-off. Then probably I don't need to fucking give them seven or eight sets on that day, you know what I mean? Um, and then I, I just think in general, so I, I think most people would be best served with a very general. I think the standard recommendation these days is 10 to 20 sets a week per body part, right? So starting in that sort of mid-range of maybe 10 to 15 spread throughout the week, whether it's twice a week, three days a week, four days a week, whatever. And, uh, you know, potentially working up to that 15 over a training cycle and sort of assessing like, hey, was there a point where performance really dropped off? I was no, it seemed like recovery was no longer good. Um, you know, and then sort of narrowing in from there on where you kind of want to keep the bulk of your volume. And then additionally, I think you got to consider like the, um, things I do that maybe other coaching groups do, like in terms of increasing volume that I may not do for the same reason, you know, um, because like like i really like intro weeks i don't think there's anything really special about an intro week other than like working at peak volume all the time and especially coming straight out of a deload sucks ass right but that also gives us an opportunity to kind of look at things and maybe take a step back especially if you're more individualized or doing your own training and saying like hey you know with these lower volumes it seems like i made like decent progress like do i even need to approach five sets Per movement or something like that. You know what I mean. And then just in general, I, I think people have to be really careful because there, for a minute, was this huge craze on like building up set volume to like thirty sets a week, forty sets a week. People, people were just saying like more is more. You know, a, a couple studies showed more volume, like all the way up to these absurd levels, provided better gains. But there are a lot of limitations to those studies. But at some point you just get better at doing more you build your work capacity but you're not getting any more return out of it
0: yeah and i think that the just doing more is like good for crossfit because crossfit is like a sport of just here's a here's a a level of volume that you have to do to complete this workout We are measuring your ability to do work, but bodybuilding is not that bodybuilding is not measuring your ability to do work. It's how do I make myself grow with the smallest and most targeted amount of work possible so that I can spend the rest of my time recovering, recuperating, adapting and getting ready for the next session. But let me ask you a question to kind of uh, move this one step further how about in terms of like a specialization cycle so let's say you know we had an individual who had a very well-developed upper body and we wanted to give them a couple specialization cycles on their lower body we lower their volume so usually on their upper body we you know we target let's say 18 sets per week for all upper pot upper body parts let's say we reduce that from 18 down to 12. can you add those six sets a one-to-one ratio to the lower body so can i say hey i'm doing six less sets of back per week i'm going to add six sets of hamstrings per week so where you used to be doing 18 sets of hamstrings per week
1: now you're doing 24 sets It's funny you asked that question because i actually did something that was the opposite during my prep where i actually like uh lowered or actually i, I just kept my leg volume the same but specialize in a very different way but anyways to answer your question probably not very unlikely no because we're talking about very um we could be depending on movement selection very different like systemic levels of fatigue you know what i mean like five sets of so like two or three sets of lat pull down with two or three sets of a single arm like cable row is not the equivalent to adding like a few sets of back squats and rdls to your training yeah you know what i mean and potentially just backing off on other things like if you were doing too much or you know even if you were doing like a good amount pulling those down to maybe more maintenance levels of volume may provide allow you to get more out of your leg training you know essentially give you more resources for recovery and adaptation so you may not even need to do that jump in volume yet probably you would Take a couple training cycles just to see what happens there. You know what I mean? If you were patient and had the time and you know what I mean? So I'd probably say like if you were trying to specialize your legs and part of your strategy was lowering uh, upper body volume to either keep the same volume for legs at first or do a small increase, 20 or 30%, which usually would probably equate to two or three sets, right? Yeah. Um, and then... Another angle I would take, it's very hard to do this with upper body. One, everybody wants everything to be bigger all the time. But two, there's just so much going on in your upper body that it's hard to have a day dedicated to just one muscle group. But with legs, um, that is something that can be very possible, especially if you do go with a higher frequency or you take a, an unorthodox training approach like I did over prep. But uh, one thing I would consider doing for bringing up legs is like, It's ham day. You train your hams and your calves. It's quad day. You train your quads and your calves, you know, or whatever. Pretty much they get their own day Um, because that's what I did in prep. I would do like upper quad, upper ham repeat, and I would take just like every seventh day off or something. And it's nice because when you go through an entire leg day, like if you got squats, then you got leg press, then you got RDLs, then you got hamstring curls, and maybe something for glutes or adductors or fucking whatever. Like if you, if you have a list of five exercises that you're doing between like three to five sets over that training day, there, there are going to be movements later on that list that you're just not getting the most bang out of your training from. But if you have, you know, the setup like I did quads, upper <laughs> hams, upper or whatever, like, Your leg day may only be six to eight sets long and you can give to all those fucking sets. Right. And you're not splitting recovery up between your, your quads, hams, glutes, calves. You know what I mean? So.
0: Yeah. I think I've seen people make that core, that correlation before. Like, Oh, I'm doing, you know, three less sets of lat pull down. So I can do three more sets of barbell squats. That is not a one to one right there. That doesn't
3: make sense. You
0: you Uh. simply cannot do that. Just a set does not equal. All sets are not created equal. We can go with that. All right. Lomas, we might hit your second question on the next Q&A, but we're going to skip over it for now. But we still love you. Good luck with your studies. The next one comes from a good friend of the gifted family, uh, Omar Rivera at the underscore Omar Rivera. Hey, Omar, how are you? Omar asks, how much cardio slash? How many steps do you like to average in the offseason? Um, me personally, I like to cut cardio to zero as quickly as possible. I don't think you should be doing any structured cardio in the off season, and then let the client establish a baseline of steps. If it is like fat fuck, I don't move around at all low levels. Then we might need to put in some either some cardio or some some steps some some like structured activity hey go for a 15 minute walk in the morning just so that physical activity is at a decent level but outside of that i, I don't like to take it any further than that what are we at today nice 258 I, I probably got you beat
1: do you want me to hit this or did you want to jump into it cam
2: um you know i'm kind of two thirty seven, dom I'm kind of on the stance like with Ryan is, but I think, too, that there might be some other health markers like individually and out of the norm that might suggest that you do things a little differently or just have more cardio in. Um, you know, I don't think it would be a bad idea to have some structured cardio in that's not super high intensive or that's digging into recovery or pushing food so high that it's making things kind of like you're spinning your tires in mud. Um, but I think it can kind of be individual based off the person, um, like Ryan was saying. And I think those that may actually need structured cardio may be a little outside of the bell curve for normal people. Paul's a big 60 minutes of
0: cardio every day during the off season to increase mitochondrial biogenesis guy,
1: big Uh, biogenesis guy
2: we got to beat that mile blast
1: differentiation. <laughs> Did you already hit it, Dom? I just want to make sure I don't fucking go on a rant.
3: No, I was going to say, like, I just thought uh, I'll keep, like, two 15-minute walks in for people in the offseason, which I don't even think is cardio, but just to keep them moving a little bit. And then the closer they get to a prep, maybe add a little bit, just so that their fitness isn't shit in the beginning of prep.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
0: Yeah. There was a study getting shared around that looked at like sedentary behavior in like physic like weight train, resistance trained individuals. So it was like basically like people like me and Dom that we train hard for, you know, 90 120 minutes a day, every day of the week, and then we sit on our butts the rest of the day. And I didn't read kind of any further than the title. Shame on me. Um, but I wonder some things about the study. What was the average weight of the individual was the average body fat of the individual? Cause like, if I went and got my blood work done and I am here shortly or in a a month or so here, I don't think that I'm going to have any signs of metabolic disorder at like 9% body fat.
1: There was a recent study that showed something like, uh, getting less than 5,000 steps a day versus getting like 8,000 plus or something. Um, Even just a very short time period of getting less steps, uh, you didn't, like, mobilize or oxidize fat as well, you know, stuff like that. But that stuff probably, when it comes to, like, real life, like, matters very little. And when bodybuilders go into cutting phases, that's corrected for almost immediately. Um, But, you know, I'd be bullshitting you if I didn't just – if I didn't say like, Hey, it's probably a good fucking idea to do some cardio and maintain some reasonable step count in the improvement season or off season or when you're not dieting, but we have to be realistic. Like what can you stick with that still gives you like a break um, and allows you to, you know, progress well in training. Um, But I think largely when it comes to my answer is going to be, just centered around like the psychological aspect you just fucking finished a prep you're doing you were doing ten thousand steps a day plus like uh 30 to you know 20 to an hour of cardio every day or five plus three to five plus days a week like what are you gonna stick with because we need to give you some sort of sort of psychological break as well as as well as well as a physical so like yeah man if you can do ten minutes of moderate intensity cardio every day and it doesn't fuck up your life, it's not something you have to force yourself to do. Like that's fine and that's probably great. If you can do twenty or thirty minutes three days a week, that's probably not going to hinder your progress and it's probably going to be great for your health. If you can get eight to ten thousand steps a day, that's cool. But not so cool if fucking you're dreading it all day and then at the end of the day you have to go walk outside for a fucking hour, you know
2: so yeah man just think, thought, do what you can i think an important thing to uh when someone's coming out of a diet or not in a contest prep and performing cardio because there's a lot of kind of psychological um i don't want to say disorders because that's not the word but i guess negative psych psychological things that can go into coming out of diets i think if your reason and intent for doing the cardio is for your health and well-being then it's smart but I think if you're doing your cardio for the fact that you're coming out of a diet putting on weight hoping that oh you know it's going to help bring me back down some or you know I feel watery I'm going to go do cardio that's that's not the reason for doing the cardio <laughs> you know and I think a lot of people. Or not a lot of people. I just think it's observed sometimes where some coming out of diets can get a little, I guess, mentally abusive to while the, why they're performing the cardio in the first place or wanting to do more, you know? Get yeah. There. It's like that damage control mindset.
0: I've also heard some bodybuilders talk about they do cardio in the off season to maintain their cardiorespiratory fitness or their cardio conditioning for when they start
1: prep again well, i don't that is, argue that maybe that could be a bad thing because it would be a bad thing the prep with all this efficiency built yeah yeah
0: you want to take advantage of that inefficiency early on because it's going to increase your fat loss in the starting phase but yes yeah, so mm. I, I that's always that has never made sense to me it's like you're just looking a way to justify your crazy cardio addiction in the off season and it's okay we can talk about it we
1: can talk through this and when it comes to bodybuilders though i mean you know having improved fitness is never a bad thing but you know like when it comes to enhanced bodybuilders too it's probably a good idea to do something you know that's like a big goal for me just for general health not to get too much into that aspect but like um I would like to accumulate 30 to 60 minutes of cardio over an entire week through most, uh, most of my improvement season because I can't just be sitting here with a 99 beats per minute heart rate. <laughs> like That's not okay. <laughs> All righty. That wraps
0: us up for today. Keep the questions coming. We always appreciate them. Gentlemen, As always, thanks for joining me. It's always good to have you guys around here to answer questions. I just simply can't answer alone without you smart noggins here with me. So heart hands over to you guys. Oh, you love to see it. No love from Cam. All right. And to all the viewers, as always, you know, like, comment, subscribe, do that YouTube stuff that people talk about. And you know what to do at the end of every episode. Look at yourself in the mirror and say, I'm going to do one thing today, and that is to stay gifted. We love you, and we'll see you on the next one. Peace. Bye.